You're listening to a Developer Experience Podcast, a podcast about the experience of being a developer or any technical person. In this episode, I talked to my friend Mike Winant about the list making that helps him get the things done that he says he will, and the pressures that we put on ourselves to be a reliable person. Thanks for checking it out. Uh, I'm Mike Winant. Uh, I've been coding professionally, I guess, since I was roughly 16, you know, taught myself to code a little bit before that. Um, you know, my dad was a database administrator for most of my life. So I, you know, had computers in the house, played video games throughout. Um, so kind of, kind of poked around software for a, a long time. And then finally, I think rented books from the library. If you can, if you can believe that, like that's how we <laughs> learned how to code HTML. Um, Oh man, there was a an HTML site. I can't remember what it is now. <laughs> there, you know, basically, you know, online tutorials, very simple HTML. Um, right. So I've been, you know, that, that's kind of where I started. Went to college for software development. Um, you know, went to a, a you know private, basically comp sci only college where I went to school Monday through Friday, eight to five. Um, Project based learning, which was I think, oh, yeah, still cool. is still is fairly like unique i think yeah. in the industry um and it was it was great like it was not a typical college experience as far as you know i'm concerned um and it was very much like you know on the job training almost yeah. so it was when i went there in this newmont university i guess i can drop the name um <laughs> it was Nine weeks on, three weeks off. Every nine-week quarter, you had a different project where it was basically, you know, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. or 5 p.m., you were doing project time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, early on, it was a little bit more rudimentary. But the last two quarters I was there, it was actually a, a, a project sponsored by the company that actually ended up hiring me out of college. And so uh, we were cheap labor for you know a client that they had uh doing some asp.net web forms uh application mm-hmm. uh, so did that for a couple of years like, like i said they they hired me moved to texas spent three years down in texas a lot of consulting you know small firms um i think the the company i worked for in texas maxed out around 15 employees uh ended up moving back home to wisconsin uh getting a job at a company called Centair. Um, that's where I met you. Yeah. Um, Centair, you know, was a little bit bigger of a company, but still a small company, you know, it's still small, medium-sized company feel. And it was mm-hmm. it was consulting. So it was, you know, three to six to sometimes nine-month projects, um, you know, fair amount of multitasking, jump in between projects. You know, as I changed roles from, you know, kind of, primarily development to also you know it was we, we we called it the scrum master role at center but it was mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a lead dev who spent a little bit of time on each projects uh, or you know multiple projects I, I think two to three at a time right um, so a lot of jumping back and forth a lot of context switching and then ended up working for a startup i was uh employee full-time employee four of five ultimately for that startup wore, wore a lot of hats 
um, you know, basically responsible for all the software that we wrote. And, you know, we had a, a fairly big application um, that was developed over time through a couple of kind of consulting companies and contracts, but we had a fairly decent footprint by the time um, they hired me full time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ultimately, that startup didn't work out. I ended up doing some kind of uh, 1099 consulting at a, at a larger company. Uh, we also overlapped there. <laughs> <laughs> a very short time. A very short time. Um, but we worked on the same floor for a while, which was actually kind yeah. of surprising. Given yeah, that, that was strange. I think they have 50 floors or so. Um, and then I uh, worked for another startup where I got to, um, you know, actually got in on the ground floor of that one. Um, it had some good funding. I hired a team around me. Um, so I was really the the principal developer, um, mm-hmm. which again, you know, a lot of context switching, a lot of wearing a lot of hats. Um, yeah. As I went along, I, I guess I feel like I've been writing less and less code, uh, which sure. is not exactly what I set out for, um, but is certainly, you know, still my passion, I guess. Like I still am very much technically involved. I, I like solving, you know, the or helping solve the bigger technical challenges. Yeah. Um, but I always end up getting roped into more of the business side of things and team side of things is, um, you know, I, I guess I, I feel like I've, uh, I can kind of witness team dynamics a little bit and, you know, provide my input and, mm-hmm. um, I guess, you know, help, help other team members grow and, and write, write better code. And then, uh, yeah, ultimately that startup uh, didn't work out either. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I'm back at a, or I guess I'm, I'm back at NM, uh, but, uh, you know, as a full-time employee, so it's definitely the biggest corporation I've ever worked for. Right. Um, you know, actually being a, a kind of W2 employee. Um, so that's coming with its own set of interesting uh, interesting new challenges and, and new, new things to work um, work out and you know learn how to be a, a good employee amongst thousands <laughs> as, as opposed to you know tens or hundreds right um can you maybe talk about where you are at now with the the systems and the tools that you use to manage your time and uh manage the work that you do yeah i the the interesting thing is so i you know i kind of went through a, all my history there my way of working really got set in that first like 10 person dev shop after high school mm-hmm. um, consulting company. And I don't remember the specific incident that occurred, mm-hmm. but it was very much me getting yelled at by the president about <laughs> why I forgot to get something done. And I think he instilled on like, carry a notebook everywhere, write things down. And I really, and I, I really like took that to heart. Like I, yeah. from, from then on, it was, I always had like a legal pad or a, 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 a ring notebook sure. where I would, I would just, I, every meeting I'd take notes, you know, basically every day I'd have, you know, this is the to-do list for today. Um, and, you know, certainly things carried on back and forth, but I, um, it had a had, had a big impact on me of like me wanting to make sure that if I told some somebody 
I would get something done that I would actually kind of follow through on that. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that that concept really drives a lot of like me, but, but both writing things down and having it work out and also having anxiety when I feel yeah. like I'm forgetting something. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I, I, I end up, you know, searching Slack. Like I know there was something I, I needed to do and I didn't write it down. And yeah. so like, you know, over time it, I, I used notebooks for a long time, you know, experimented with various, you know, note-taking apps and things like that in college and post-college. But I, I really did pen and paper for a long time. Yeah. And just, it just mainly because it worked and like there was something about it being analog that um, I think there's some area of study where like, if you actually write something down, like you, you don't actually have to come back to it. Like the right. act of writing it down gives you the memory. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that's, that's played a big role in just kind of what, what I've done that's worked for me over time. Um, today it's, it's basically the same system, but in one note, um, you mm -hmm. know, I've, I've got a lot of different sources of work now. And I think that's, that's been one of the things that I've kind of have worked to manage over time is, you know, people ask for things on Slack, uh, work gets assigned in Jira or, you know, Azure DevOps, like there's all these tools that like the team uses that, our sources of questions and work and um, follow up and you know email and so like having my own list that's like independent of anybody else's system or any other list I feel like has been helpful to me in that I I you know if I get an input from somewhere it goes on the list if it mm -hmm. doesn't make it on the list I. I, it's it's pretty much not going to happen. Right, it's lost. Um, right, it, exactly. It's lo like it's lost. I I, <laughs> I actually had a um, my wife asked me about you know some post Thanksgiving plans that we talked about with my mom, and it's like I don't know. We didn't write it down. Like I, <laughs> I, <laughs> it didn't make it in the calendar. It, I, I didn't write it down. Um, and I, I guess that's the the other kind of part of my system is it's either notes for like in a to-do list format for today mm -hmm. or it's future calendar entries like even if it's not like an actual like event or meeting it's like i'm locking off my calendar because i know i have to get xyz done by this date or the you know sometime in the in the near future mm -hmm. so I, I would say calendar and you know now digital to-do list but it it's just kind of a, a daily to-do list. And I guess day-to-day, -day, I certainly look at the prior days list mm -hmm. and we'll copy things over if they're still relevant. But there's a decent amount of time where the prior day list, you know, things are no longer relevant. You know, they, they either resolve themselves or aren't as important as they were um, prior. And so I'll move that over. On the flip side, if uh, I'm working through my day and like I'm not, getting anything checked off sometimes i'll just add an item that like i already did just to get yeah. like something checked right like there's that like momentum snowball effect of like getting tasks done right um because yeah i mean it's 
it can be really demotivating if you just see a big list of of things that aren't checked. And so I, I think I think like the the prioritization mechanism that I tend to use is like if it's easy and I can get it done in a couple of minutes, that usually ends up going to the top. Like I just want to clear it off my plate. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that happens a lot when people ask me things like um, kind of informally, you know, whether yeah. it be Slack or email. It's like I've already context switched to like read this message. I'm just going to take care of it because if I put it on my list and have to come back to it later, I'm it like I'm, I'm going to have to switch more than than the once I already did. Right. And so, um. Yeah, I think that mechanism of prioritization. I also think that you know that context switching aspect. As my roles have changed, and as I've been less focused on kind of one project, and and honestly been in way more meetings, mm-hmm. the context switching is just like built in, um, in the way that I. If I have a more than an hour of like free time, I I almost don't know what to do. Like mm-hmm. I will look at my to do list, and it's still the like, okay, I'm gonna try to get the easy things done, get them off. Um, but certainly when there's like larger things to do, I I I've almost lost the ability to like sit and focus, and I think that's yeah. one of the things I'm like, I, I'm starting to actually have like more anxiety about that and like how to get back to that focus and flow Mm -hmm. um because i i used to be able to do that i used to be able to sit down and like just get work done um but i my day is so chunked up now where it's kind of few and far between Mm -hmm. do you do any um like batching of your time intentionally uh so like trying to arrange blocks on your calendar or anything like that every once in a while um and i i know it's been like recommended to me so mm-hmm. actually for a while at my in my current position i was feeling this early on and i i asked to get mondays and fridays like i'm i'm going to block my calendar please don't schedule meetings i'm i'm going to like schedule this as work time and unfortunately it wasn't really like follow like it wasn't respected and the thing is is or at least the thing about me is i i i want to be involved right mm-hmm. like i i don't like not being at the table when yeah. decisions are getting made um just cuz i like i i it helps me personally especially on what you know when we're solving business problems with technology like I want I want to know what the problem the business is trying to solve is like I want to know what the context is. Mm-hmm. Uh and if you make a decision for me, I I kind of want you to give me some of the steps you did. And it's it's like a weird second guessing that I do of of other people's <laughs> stuff. And I think that's actually probably pretty typical for for people in general and especially like very analytical people. Right. And it's like it's it's not that I don't trust you but I'm trying to verify. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um 
And so, yeah, I, I've, I've certainly tried, um, like, I, you know, like I have mentioned, you know, certainly if I like, I have to get something done, I will put it on my calendar. But when the suggestion comes in, it's like, well, I blocked my calendar. Well, why didn't you decline these meetings? It's like, well, I felt like if I did, then I wouldn't have been involved in all the discussions and decisions that were made during this. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I want to, I don't want to exclude myself from like, you're still going to have the meeting, even if I just decline it. So right. I, I should probably be there because you're going to have to fill me in afterward anyway. Right. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to maybe question how you got there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, um, there's, there's definitely a meeting culture where I'm at now, you know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I've been at other places, um, Certainly where I've been at startups and I've had a lot more influence or even smaller companies, you know, one th- some things that have worked really well for me are, all right, we're going to have meetings in the morning and the afternoons are going to be, you know, like only meet if absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like things like that have worked out well, where it's like, it can't just be me amongst the team trying to set my calendar like that, or at least that's how I feel, um, but if we have team buy-in, then it feels a lot easier to, you know, try to separate that focus time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's become more complicated by my my current situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel what you're saying about the meetings. Like it's a little bit different for me uh, in that it's not that I want to be in those meetings to be involved in the decisions. It's more just like I really value a lot of discussions that happen in sure. meetings, and I le- I value the connection that happens there, um, which sometimes it's not very good connection, very not high quality, but it's it's enough that I think it's important, and um, I I end up also opting myself into meetings that uh, it'd be a lot easier if I if I didn't, it'd give me a lot more time for focus. The anxiety that comes around the inability to focus. I'm curious if there's also like an anxiety about the problems themselves. Uh, So like generally when I think about um, the reason you need focus time is because you're solving like deeper problems or bigger problems. And um, if if you're feeling like these problems are too big, or too broad or too um, too deep. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering if like that's also part of what makes you uncomfortable about it. Yeah, I, I think I identify with that. I think for me personally, um, I end up you know writing a lot of stories and um, like user stories, user stories okay. and backlog items. And for me, I am I. I like separating things, right? If I mm-hmm. if I can break down a problem and deal with, you know, the individual pieces of it, that's where I feel much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I certainly feel like if if we're attacking a large problem, like it <laughs> there's there's just so much there's so much complexity that there's the potential to have if you don't break things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that you don't think about the full like context of what you're trying to accomplish. But if you like, I've always found like 
breaking things down into bite-sized chunks, like let's let's solve one problem at a time. Yeah. Because I I think part of it is like you recognize that you solve problem one and you find one B and one C. And so like if you try to solve it all up front, mm-hmm. you end up with a you know like you spent a bunch of time and energy solving problems that may or may not actually come into fruition. Right. And then the opposite where you don't recognize half the problems and that it, that will come up that you know couldn't have been foreseen. Mm-hmm. And so um, you, you mentioned the anxiety about big problems. Yeah, I, I think breaking them down has always been part of how I've approached them. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also had a lot of feedback on teams that I've worked with where they don't want to get super fine grained um, on some on some of the details. Like if, if the story doesn't tell the full picture um, or only has a piece like, and this may be a communication issue more than, than other things. Like they, it, it, I guess the interesting thing is, uh, you know, as I'm verbalizing this, I'm realizing like part of like my wanting to be in the meetings uh, mm-hmm. to understand the full context and make sure I agree with the problem. is probably part of the reason that people don't want to get stories where it's just like one little slice um, because if it doesn't, help them see the full picture yeah, they exactly they want that context exactly that's hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being my therapist <laughs> just uh doing my best uh yeah that makes a lot of sense S- somewhat separate tangent and i i don't know if you experience this but at least in software development there's so many problems that are like better spent like in front of the whiteboard and just yeah like even I tend to go for a lot of walks during the day where like yeah. I'm not in front of the computer. Like I'm kind of only tangentially thinking about the problem, but like, I feel like that's some of the most effective problem solving I get. Yeah, definitely. And like, there's this weird, like, I think it, part of it is some of the remote nature maybe. And some of it is like having that, you know, when you're at the office, you're in front of your desk, but, finding that like i solve a bunch of problems not in front of my computer like it like only a smaller portion of my job is actually either writing code or writing stories Mm -hmm. um it's really the thinking part and sometimes you know think thinking isn't best done in my basement dungeon uh without any sun Uh, (laughs) not much is best done down there (laughs) (laughs) right um yeah, I definitely find the same. Uh, and I do think that's the case with a lot of this knowledge work stuff that um, it's and it's one of the big reasons that I said to you earlier that I don't think I'll ever work in an office again. I just really like being remote because I like being able to walk upstairs to take a break and honestly, like just, um, you know, stare outside or, yeah. or like eat a eat a bowl of chips or something and not really and listen to NPR or um, just do things that don't look like I'm if if according to you know some archaic uh, (laughs) perception of what work is doesn't look like I'm working 
but in reality, like I'm, I'm working then I'm also working after, after I've signed off my computer, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting, sitting watching TV yeah. or I'm having a conversation with somebody like, uh, I'm sure this drives, uh, my, my wife mad, but like, you know, I may not be fully tuned into the conversation that we're having because I'm, <laughs> I'm actually like processing a problem that I was dealing with that day. I've, uh, I, 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 you know, I mentioned some random anxieties. Like, if I'm if I'm really stuck on a problem, I've mm-hmm. had numerous occasions, and I I have, as far as I can tell, I have no control over it. But I'll wake up at three a.m. and like have like an mm-hmm. epiphany moment almost, yeah. and like I'll, I'll, I have to go like write it down. Like, yeah, I, for sure. I, I get out of bed, go turn on my computer, all groggy, and like start just writing notes down, mm-hmm. and it's it's not enjoyable like i i, I don't look <laughs> forward to these these moments right because it just throws off your day yeah but, right um yes you know, i'm working while i'm sleeping yeah yeah and then and then you get really excited about the fact that you just saw something and you've got this little bit of rush and right. you're not falling asleep for another hour or so right but uh, thankfully it's 3 a.m and you're not going to get distracted by anything else yeah for sure um, my favorite time for problem solving is the moments before I fall asleep mm-hmm. or the moments after I wake up where I haven't fully woken up, where you can actually just feel your brain doing weird things. You can feel yourself thinking weird thoughts. Um, and that's a big part of the problem solving is allowing your brain to just go explore things that if you were staring at the computer thinking about this problem, you wouldn't yeah. let your brain go there. You'd be like, no, that's not it. It's yeah. clearly not that it's clearly related to this other thing, but you let it just go on its own and it starts to just make weird connections and arrange things very differently than you would do when you were wide awake. And I love that. <laughs> I love that time. And I feel like it's, uh, it's some of the best time for me to solve problems. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things about this, job and career that you come to realize is there's literally a million ways you can solve the same problem you know it's just a a a multitude of trade-offs for is it the right solution for your current problem Mm -hmm. and you mentioned earlier about you know going in meetings to you know share ideas and and talk through things and i i think those are some of the most effective meetings where you know you propose an idea, propose a solution, and you, you kind of run the gamut of like, does, does this actually fit these 20 use cases? Mm-hmm. Is, this the, is this the right thing for this situation? Like, let, let's go through, you know, examples of things that fit and ideally things that don't fit. And then mm-hmm. I think that helps you determine, you know, if, if the things that don't fit are, are a big enough problem, well, you probably don't have your problem solved. But if the things that don't fit are like, okay, like those, those seem like small issues, we can maybe try to fit that in a different way. But we can we can push that problem down the line. I, you know, I think that's where we can, as you know, developers and you, you mentioned knowledge workers. I, I think that's where you can really get stuff done and and leverage kind of the hive mind of mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're on a really good team that you know people aren't afraid to you know try to shoot stuff down. It can be really a really effective way to work. Yeah, what you were talking about earlier about wanting to break down problems, um, I think that that 
really relates directly to the lists that you make. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're, you're breaking down, you know, maybe not a, a specific coding problem or something like that, but you're breaking things down into bite-sized chunks that you can check off of the list. Well, I, I mentioned the, like, putting stuff on the list that I can check off right away to feel like I'm yeah. getting stuff done. Yep. I do the same thing with bigger items on the list. Like, mm-hmm. I will often start to make a sub-list for the bigger item because, like, if you have a huge item, it's like, I, I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. And I only have an hour and a half before my next meeting. So, like, I, I got to get some progress here. So what are the actual, like, individual steps to getting this done? Mm-hmm. And once I outline those, then it's like, okay, like, here's this top item. I can solve this. I can move this forward. Um, I was going to pull up an example from, yeah, so, like, I got this example of, like, you know, something I was trying to figure out the other day of, you know, we've got to migrate some data from, you know, database A to database B. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty pretty standard uh, uh, ETL problem solving thing, right? It's not a not a huge problem. It's been solved a million times before. <laughs> um, but like, again, like with, with my day being broken up fairly frequently, it's like, all right, like, what are the actual sub steps to like mm-hmm. get this done? And now where I'm like writing less code myself, I'm also trying to break this into things I can hand off to the team. And so I feel like part of like my breakdown of thinking through the problem also almost directly translates to like individual like acceptance criteria and like pieces of these stories that um ultimately you know the the team can can pick up and and work on what you're saying about um taking those big things and breaking them down and and adding the things that you've like kind of like you've already made progress on this problem uh but you didn't break it down before you started making progress and so then you go back and you're like oh oh well the first three steps of this thing are this this and this and i already did those so check those off right away right and then add more on top of it um for me there's a whole lot of emotional, psychological stuff that happens when I don't do that, where um, I often, it happens to me on a regular basis, where I just feel like I'm in a bad mood, or I feel like I'm in a bad place, or I'm not productive, I'm not really doing a good job, not able to focus, and I don't really know what I'm doing. And so many times, I've had this realization where I'm like, okay, this is another situation where I had a really, really big nebulous problem and I didn't break it down. So I'm staring at my to-do list and I have one big thing and it's impossible to check it off right now. It's going to take me days to check this off. So until I actually go in and add those individual subtasks and break it down a little bit further, I'm going to keep feeling like this because I don't get to check things off. And and that checking off of boxes has such a huge positive effect um, emotionally and psychologically on me. Uh, And I think everybody with like a, like a hit of dopamine or something that happens when you check off that, that item. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you could maybe talk a little bit more um, about that, uh, that like psychological and emotional side of, of this like are there any thoughts that you have in regards to how does it make you feel when things are going well how does it make you feel when things aren't going well etc yeah there's there's this weird there's the psychological like feeling where 
I feel like if I if I'm not getting stuff done, I'm I'm you know I'm like I'm I'm not uh, I'm not worthy. There's that imposter syndrome. It's yeah. like the I'm not like, contributing. Yeah, that oh man, that that's a good way to put it, right? Like I the the feeling that I'm like failing my team, I'm not pulling my weight mm-hmm. and that's rough. Like it, yeah. and it it's uh it can be easy to like steer into that rut. And you know, especially when you know, I, I mentioned the like trying to like pride myself on being dependable and you know getting stuff done for people um when it feels like i'm not making any progress mm-hmm. i feel like i'm failing at that goal yep and it's a uh, that that's where it's easy for me to also like throw my hands up and you know, go for the walk where like, I know right. I'm not getting any, any work done on this walk. Like I, it's a, uh, like it's, it's, it's like positive and negative feedback loops. Right. So like if I recognize I'm on that negative feedback loop mm-hmm. and, you know, I think like you mentioned where it's even just injecting some like, okay, I'm getting stuff done. Like I'm just going to go make sure I get all my emails marked to red or like mm-hmm. you know, clear my inbox. Like, Pick something easy and like get back into that positive loop where it's like okay, like I can start building some momentum here and getting back to the like getting things done, and it's I'm trying to pinpoint uh, you know, like psychologically like the man, yeah, that that feeling of like letting letting people down and not pulling your weight is brutal. <laughs> and yeah, Mike, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, <laughs> dependability is a, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a trait. Uh, and it's, there's so much pressure that goes with it, with feeling yeah. dependable and, and not wanting to let everyone else down. Um, and I have, that I defined myself as a dependable person for a very, very long time. And it, it was just so much more to worry about, you know, because it's now, it's not just like, I need to be good enough for myself. I need to be good enough for everybody else. Um, and that's rough. Yeah. That's so hard to do. And, and I, I had this conversation with my wife earlier today, actually. And it was just about like, is this, is this pressure I'm, just putting on myself like is this mm-hmm. actually pressure that anybody else is yep. putting on me or is it just my interpretation of like what i i need to be doing and yeah. like it's it, it probably is mostly just me right like yeah. it uh, <laughs> and and that's and like recognizing that and freeing yourself from that burden are two different mm-hmm. things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think part of my problem is I also tend to be a yes man. 
mm-hmm. in that I am more agreeable than I should be when mm-hmm. like I I don't say no often enough when people ask and I think there's something about the thrill of the pressure maybe like like you mentioned the dopamine hit of getting things done i think there's also like the weird like procrastination effect of like this isn't getting this this isn't fun until it's due tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) and now that it's due tomorrow i'm gonna get it done right i'm super interested in it all of a sudden um so there's there's a lot of weird things working for and against trying to get work done (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah and the the more the more you say yes and the more things you have to add to your list that uh i mean yeah like you said like it becomes more uh urgent and you get to it more quickly but also that's a lot more things that'll eventually fall off and it you prove dependable people will keep pushing and like i don't think they mean to right like they, they don't like um, yeah, I think I, we talked a little bit about it before we started recording is, you know, some of the deadlines in my current position are are mostly self-inflicted yeah. on yeah. us. Um, and sh- sure, certainly everybody would love to get more work done sooner. Like that, that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a certain point where the pressure of the deadline causes you to make mistakes that are more costly than if yep. you, you know, my opinion, and granted, this is my opinion as a, you know, being on the technology side and, and <laughs> particularly like on consulting sides too, right? It's like, um, people always want to know when something's going to get done. Like that, I, I, I don't blame any, any funder of, somebody who's requesting software mm-hmm. um, they want to know when it's going to get done how much it's going to cost i i understand that completely um but i also it you know it's the you know there's the the quality pyramid right you know like the mm-hmm. speed quality cost uh triangle or there's got to be a better name for that by now but <laughs> um if you set a deadline, I'm going to tell you how much work I think I get done by that. But you can't set a deadline and a scope, right? And and expect that to work out okay, right? And still going to try. Like I'm going to do my best, but like I would really much rather being involved in the like. All right one of these two things is more fixed than the other. Is it, is it the time aspect? Then cool. We can, I can give you a, a more realistic estimate of, you know, this body of work when it will get done. Or is it the, you know, this is the scope estimate more flexible. Like if you want to go live by this date, I can tell you what we can fit in by then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I think it's a, a give and take, you know, the farther you get out, the bigger the problem is the, wider your range of estimates are going to be. Um, but I think there's that that other aspect of not feeling like I 
participated in the like pressure uh, that I signed up for <laughs> is also its own like level of anxiety, right? Yeah, like definitely. It, it it's uh, you're given an impossible, you know, a seemingly impossible task. I'm still going to try, and then you know, I'm still going to put that pressure on myself, and you like the business and like the people who are asking probably it would actually be more open to like, okay, let, let's actually um, like, let's negotiate over this more as opposed to me just like kind of taking it in and putting the pressure on myself. Like, okay, we're going to, I guess we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. It's nice to have that feeling that you have agency or you have some sort of like some, if if you do indeed have to do that work in that time frame to know that you were involved in that decision and like you you accepted it right. you accepted whatever the pain was that was going to come um as you were involved in making the call yeah i was i really burned myself out in 2020 going into the kind of work from home pandemic but i felt like it was the right thing to do at the time and like i still would probably do it again but it was we were in a small startup, pretty much running out of funding, but also getting our first like actual product that people were paying for. Mm-hmm. So it was like, if there's ever a time to kind of really push on the gas and overload myself, like n- now is it. Um, and I probably overdid it. I should have <laughs> taken the couple of vacations that I skipped. Um, and granted, at the time, vacation would have been staying home. Um, we had a Disney vacation that we, you know, Disney wasn't even open. So there wasn't, it was no longer an option. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's accepting the pressure, um, and you mentioned having, you know, having the agency to like kind of being fully having the full, like context and background, you know, I, I didn't ask anybody else on the team to put in any, any extra, you know, I, I, I do feel strongly that people need to make those decisions for themselves. And also, you know, on the flip side, if, you know, somebody on my team, like if I recognize somebody's burning out, like to, to push back, right. Like it's, or, you know, to, to pull back, yeah. like it's, it's not, it's not worth it to, to, to break them. To, right. Exactly. Um, you know, you can you can push for a little while, um, mm-hmm. but it's not one. It's not healthy for for people. It's not healthy for relationships. It's not healthy for um, you know the <laughs> we mentioned the the dependability aspect. But like, I I believe strongly where if like if you go from a normal forty hour a week and then all of a sudden you work sixty and people get used to how much work you get done on sixty you can almost never get that back unless like, up front <laughs> going into it. You're like, this yeah. is extra. Like, this is not yeah. normal. This is not our team's velocity. Yeah. Like we're, we're pushing and I expect to have like free three weeks off after this period. Right. For like, sure. Um, it's, uh, what's it, you know, it's a tough thing. It's, uh, you know, just kind of team getting software written, getting software done. Those estimates are always hard. They're always mm-hmm. wide ranging, and the more variables you put in, the 
you know, less, <laughs> less close you're going to be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's fun to think about all these, um, like all the different pressures that yeah. are going on in many different directions, like the internal pressures that you're applying to yourself and the pressures that you're feeling from your team and, and maybe giving to your team and the pressure from the business and, uh, and all that stuff. Like, how do we, how do we even survive all of this? Who knows? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> with vices. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And a lot of us don't survive this. Um, are there any conditions under which you stop using the systems that work for you? Like, I could, I can imagine that it could be, go either way. Like, it might be that when things are really stressful, you you drop it because you feel like you don't have time for it. Or it could be the opposite. When things are going really well, you feel like you don't need it. Yeah, I I definitely, I think it's more the negative case. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like, it's interesting, the last couple of weeks, so first week of November, I had training. And so, like, I took a bunch of notes during training, but, like, I kind of just left the to-do list by the wayside because I didn't really have any to-dos other than attend this training. Mm-hmm. And when I got back the next week, it was like the first couple of days, I didn't even start a, a list that day. Like mm-hmm. I was like out of practice yeah, and, and like almost lazy about it. Um, so I, I certainly kind of ebb and flow, you know, just like I, I think the ebb and flow of, you know, productivity, I guess, or like actually checking things off where... I don't know if it's if there's if it's correlated with like the stress or the workload or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly could be. I guess I just said I don't have I don't have any empirical evidence to to say one way or the other. Um, but there there's certainly times where I get less specific on the to do list or it's less detailed, mm-hmm. um, and I, certainly that those could be times where, like you mentioned. You know, there's things are flowing well. There's less stress, um, potentially less being asked. Like where, you know, I mentioned having multiple sources of kind of inputs to my list. Mm-hmm. If the only real kind of like to do item I have on a particular day is you know the Jira ticket that's assigned to me, and we talked about it in stand up, I, I feel like I don't need the reminder of the list so yep. much. Yeah. Um, so I, I've. I tend to, you know, potentially take alternate paths if I'm not getting a lot of things asked. I think it's more where if all of a sudden I'm fielding 10 questions and they're clearly things that I can't get done in that kind of immediate, like, five-minute context interruption, that's where I start to, like, okay, I got to start writing this down because I I know I'm going to forget. Yeah. So, yeah, it ebbs and flows. It's nice to it's nice that you're able to recognize it in that moment and 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 recognize it as a as a time when you need to actually jump back in to whatever that system was um versus not even really knowing that you were uh, I mean maybe there is some of that like that you're not really aware that you're not keeping track of things but uh being able to recognize it quickly and adapt and then start and, and then get back on the wagon um seems like it's uh honestly kind of a superpower <laughs> <laughs> it well it, and it 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 uh i think it helps that i've trained myself fairly well where i yeah. 
when I get the, that initial input of like, there's something I have to do. If I don't handle it immediately, it's gotta, I, I gotta put it somewhere that I know I'm going to, yeah. it's going to remind me. Yeah. Now, a lot of times it's the list, but sometimes it's like a Slack has this feature that I discovered a couple of weeks ago to remind me. That's and so, so great. Like, I will, I'll set a reminder for an hour or three hours. And like, I, I think part of the reason I may have gone lax the last couple of weeks, other than the kind of the, the work interruption was like, I started leaning more into the Slack mm-hmm. method mm-hmm. of, you know, anything that comes in Slack, I'm just going to have Slack bot remind me. Um, granted, uh, I, I also then get the like, here's 20 <laughs> Slack bot reminders. <laughs> And I feel like it's less easy to like kind of navigate it. Yeah. And so that's where I'll then revert back to like, okay, like I'll, I'll, I'll even take like a Slack link or like a Jira ticket link and, and put it in the list. Yeah. Um, Cause it, the list is just a pointer, right? It's just a, right. For sure. How do I get back into this context? Yeah. I'm not sure if this is what you mean in regards to Slack reminders, um, but uh, one of the tools that I've been using lately is when you see a message that it wasn't from you that you're you, and you maybe don't want to know about it right then you can like click on the um, snowman or whatever the dot 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 yep. thing is in that case and and say remind me about this particular message tomorrow yes um, is that is that That's how you mean it, absolutely yeah okay Yep. That or or because I, I know there's also you can actually just like say Slack remind me to do this like type that in and it'll no I, yeah I definitely yeah. mean the like the particular message context yeah. menu yeah 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 I the thing I like about that is setting the ability to uh, set boundaries time boundaries or uh, like work life boundaries yeah. to say you know I'm signing off and I get this message I'm not gonna look at it right now uh, but I already marked it as red so uh, just remind me about it tomorrow and then i'll deal with it yeah well i, mean, I think that's uh <laughs> now that i use this feature i feel mm-hmm. more open to like if i see that like you know that little badge next to a, a channel to go into it mm-hmm. but the thing that i was i recognized that i was the reason i'm glad i found this feature is like I would go into a channel or a, a, a direct message thread, read something, file it away. <laughs> it didn't end up on the list. And then it'd be like, I'd come back 30 minutes later and go, I know something in here, something in Slack yep. I need to do, but right. I don't remember. <laughs> and you've got that anxiety again of like, right. what did I lose? What did I drop? Right. It's it's around here somewhere. And then like yep. Slack search is okay, but. There's millions of messages, right? Yeah, like it's, for sure. It's too so much. noisy. Too much. We mentioned the Slack ones, and I. It's interesting that you mentioned the. It sounds like there's like a slash remind feature in Slack, and that, yes, that would yep, be that's exactly right. Um, pretty neat. I know for like my personal life, I end up using Siri a ton, so mm-hmm. like I can. So I've got a bunch of HomePods, and I can tell Siri to remind me to do something and it, then it shows up on my phone's list. So I, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned the work-life balance and I, I definitely keep those things separate. Like my personal life is in Apple reminders. Like I'm bought into the Apple ecosystem now. <laughs> my work life is 
you know, primarily OneNote and like Slack. And so th things that I can segregate and shut off uh, when I'm not wanting to be interrupted by those, by, by that. Um, yeah. So it's like si similar systems, but different technologies and like just completely different context. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, there was something early on when you were talking about writing things down on paper. Uh, I was thinking about how it's, that's like the, the ultimate solution in terms of portability and cross-platform. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you just, you have that notebook whatever in whatever context you're in um so it's interesting to hear you describe this now where you actually have a separation in those contexts between um between home and and work yeah i uh i'm pretty sure part of this file cabinet that's sitting next to me is just old like <laughs> work jotted notebooks although like I, I think to your point like the you know the work legal pattern notebook i would have would often stay at work or, you know, be in my, yeah. like, work bag, yep. right? So, like, totally. I, I still kind of had the separation. Yeah. Um, I guess, thinking on it, I probably had less, like, personal things. Like, I, I didn't use that system, per, you know, for the personal side of my life. Mm -hmm. I also feel like for kids and, like, all those extra responsibilities, I, I had less things that I was worried about keeping <laughs> track. For sure. Yeah, I guess uh, what I realized as you described that with the legal pad staying at work is that I was picturing my dad, honestly, um, who keeps a little pocket notebook in his shirt oh, pocket yeah. and a pen or pencil. He hates pen, pencil uh, at all times where he just like pulls it out and makes notes. And for a while I was doing that too. Um, uh, not putting it in a shirt pocket because yeah. I don't wear shirt pockets. <laughs> and that was... Man, that was a different time where I felt like I just needed to keep track of everything, and I don't really feel like that anymore. <laughs> I think I think there was some freedom that I acquired when I decided to not be Mister Dependable. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you like you kind of went through that and kind of freed yourself of that, and I you know I think. You know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier for me is like, I'm still, I'm still in that mode and like mm -hmm. trying to decide if I can or if I feel comfortable like trying to to give myself that yeah. freedom. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I think I've just, I've. This is how I've been for so long that I. It's scary. Yeah, it's your identity. Right. It's you don't want to mess with your identity. Yeah. Man, I, I I honestly like it's it feels very, very similar to what I I felt like up until probably a, a couple of years ago. So I don't if you ever want to talk about it more, I have lots I, of feelings I, about I, it and, and whatever. I, 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 I kinda of do at some point, you know, obviously okay, we're, yeah. it's pretty late. Uh yeah. but I'd be I'd be curious to pick your brain maybe and yeah. hear how you got through that. Yeah, uh, if I could, if I could like summarize it in one thing, it was just um, it was about comparing, uh, comparing. It's about thinking about who mattered to me the most, and in the end, it came down to I don't. I'd love my coworkers, 
but they don't matter to me as much as my family yeah. does or my wife does or or I do um and when i'm doing when i'm choosing to be dependable and to not drop any of these balls for anybody i'm choosing them over my myself and i'm choosing them over my family's happiness because when i have all that shit going on i become a very negative person and um you know uh stressed out and crabby and whatever else um i don't know at some point something just like clicked for me where it became a lot easier to make decisions when i thought about who they were for cool that's awesome i appreciate that that (laughs) that uh that makes a ton of sense Thanks for listening to this episode of A Developer Experience Podcast. Thanks to my guest, Mike Winant. You can find Mike on LinkedIn. I'll link it in the notes. If you like the show, support it at the podcast's home, anchor.fm slash a hyphen developer hyphen experience. I'm Steve Hicks. Check stephenhicks.me slash where to find me on the internet. Take care, friends.